Hey folks, it's the old humble guy here. You're listening to my favorite podcast, Heated Agreement, and if you're living your best life, you're sipping on a glass of old humble whiskey. Our straight whiskey is made from 90% corn and 10% malted barley and aged five years in used bourbon barrels to give it a nice, light, sweet finish. We take a portion of that whiskey, put it back in new five-gallon barrels, and age it a second time to make our special reserve. Both whiskeys are clean, easy-drinking whiskeys that taste the way whiskey should taste. If you haven't done so yet, head on down to Specs and get yourself a bottle today. And if you want to be a partner with us as we grow, we have an excellent investment opportunity for you. You can find details on our website, oldhumbledistilling.com. Come grow with us. Cheers. I just have a very hard time expressing my emotions, and I can't stop from yelling. So I'm very sorry. I don't mean to offend you, but I'm not going to stop yelling. Eat it nation, baby. I'm in a good mood to podcast tonight, boys. Talking about Lynn Bowden right now, so why the hell do I care about Anaya Smith right now? Because I have an opinion and I said it. Howdy, everybody, and welcome on in to Heated Agreement. It's Super Bowl Monday, so we're a little bit exhausted, but we are ready to bring you a great interview and a special guest in Mr. Sam Kahn. He used to write for the Houston Chronicle. He's a local, he's a Houstonian born and raised graduated from the University of Houston. We're going to kind of go back into our topic that we've been covering the last couple of weeks, and that is the Mount Rushmore of Houston athletes. We're going to go ahead and get his take on that. And then we're going to just kind of figure out what he's been up to and, and just kind of shoot the bull with him. Woody, um, I know you did not have the greatest day on your prop bets yesterday, but how, how was your Super Bowl? Well, first off, my prop bets, you know, everything kind of evened out because I hit some pretty ridiculous like i got a prop bet that i would have under two and a half there would be under two and a half players to attempt to pass at plus 180 so they were, they were saying there was gonna be a trick pass at some i point. guess i guess and that hit obviously that kind of saved my night um i was a little down in the dumps but uh i put my most money on the plus 180 bet so uh, I ended up about even after all the bullshit bets that didn't go through for me. Um, but, you know, uh, boring Super Bowl. I didn't. It just wasn't that entertaining to me. Um, obviously, when the Chiefs, the most prolific offense in football, don't score a touchdown, that doesn't help things. Um, but, you know, I mean, if there was ever a debate who the GOAT is, it's clearly Tom Brady. Um, uh, you ready for the wildest Tom Brady stat you'll hear? Yeah, what, what you got? All right. So Tom Brady has the second most wins, playoff wins against NFC teams in the history of quarterbacks. He's only played in the NFC for one season. The rest of the wins were in the Super Bowl. He only got a chance to beat NFC teams in the Super Bowl, and he has the second most Playoff wins against NFC teams in NFL history. That's insane. He has more than Aaron Rodgers. He has more than Drew Brees. Who's number one? Montana? I I think so. I I honestly I don't know, but that's the most absurd stat you could ever imagine. I remember reading something about that, and and there's all kinds of Brady stats out there right now. And yeah, but that one is just insane. But Tom Brady, for how good he was last night, did not win that game. 
No, the defense play the defensive line in particular played the out of their line. Was insane, um, ungodly. That's another prop that I hit. I had Shaquille Barrett getting a sack. That one helped a lot because I got that at like plus one sixty five. Uh, I had, but like I think they. Still, when I say like I hit this prop last night, I had no fewer than like thirty five prop bets going. So. It, it was a lot of hit. It was a lot yeah. of misses and a few hits, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I kept doubling down on Miko Hardman to score a touchdown and it never hit. So that was fun. Was he one of the, I'm pretty sure he was one of the guys that had one hit him in the hands. I know Hill had one. He, he had two end zone targets, but neither hit him in his hands. It was Hill hit one in his hands and Daryl Williams hit one in his hands. Yeah. Like I said, it, it turned out to be a really shitty Super Bowl. Uh, not to mention, I thought the halftime show was god awful. I don't know what that was. That was weird. Definitely weird. Um, I, I, mean, I don't. Did, so hey, apparently, did so you not see Dash Sports tweet? No, I didn't. Oh, you, you're not a Star Wars guy, though, right? Yeah, I am. At the beginning, where they're all dancing with their arms in there and they have the mask on with the red eyes, they look like Tuscan yeah. warriors. <laughs> well, so apparently, the weekend didn't have they didn't give them very much of a budget because they were like you know there's not gonna be very much like in stadium attendance you know the budget's just a little thin this year blah 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 blah. well apparently he put seven million of his own dollars towards that production and that's why there was uh, and so i heard he didn't get I, I heard he didn't get paid that's why there were so many people if you put $7 million of your own money out there and that's the best product you can come up with. And I'm not a music guy. So like, I don't know, but I wasn't amused. Like I, I when I, Shakira I, did her halftime show at the end at last year, I'm pretty sure I listened I, to Shakira for six months straight. You want to, you want to know something funny? Shakira is so hot that you didn't realize it was actually JLo's concert and she just showed up at the end. Uh, well, Shakira stole the show. So. Exactly. Messi is one lucky dude. Can confirm I'm sorry, PK. PK. PK Can is one lucky dude. Those hips do not lie. Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, the Super Bowl is good. I mean, I don't know why I decided to bet against Brady, but it bit me in the ass. Obviously, it's it's so crazy with this guy, right? So he. Uh, when he was in the the prime of his career, it was him just dominating dudes from quarter one to quarter four, and you had just hoped you could stay in it or something. And then as he's gotten older, like you know, during the regular season, it's like every year for I don't know last what four or five they, years they lose one game early in the year. Brady's done. The dynasty's over. Yeah, and, and stuff like that. I mean, and I'm gonna be honest, he hasn't looked the same. And you're like wondering. He was elite last night. Yeah, no, but what I was saying is from playoff game one against is the Redskins, right? Yep. Uh, no, it was the Washington football team. I'm not gonna acknowledge that. Anyways, <laughs> uh, he 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 just got better and better and better. And last night was the it just all came together and won. I mean, and he he was unbelievably good. The last dude night. had the he had the best. QBR of any quarterback in Super Bowl history. Yeah. Last night. All right, Sam's on. You ready? Let's do it. Yeah, Houston. Houston means that I'm one day closer to you.
Hey y'all, it's time to welcome in our guest for the show this week. As usual, our guests are brought to you by Law Terrain Watches. Right now, over on LawTerrain.com, you can use the discount code DASH40, that's D-A-S-H 4040, to get 40% off on the Compass, Redcrest, Legacy 2, and the 1893. Law Terrain Watches, it's time to tell your story. Inside the program with our Sam Con Jr. Dude, that's just the reality. You just got to take a step back, take your red glasses off. This is the reality: is you are on the outside looking in from this. Y'all ready for this? Alrighty, guys. So we're joined in by Sam Con. Sam, thank you for joining us. We like to get to know everybody. So kind of like your background kind of your journey of where you've got been, where you're going and stuff like that. Everybody knows that you've been covering ESPN or SEC and Big 12 on ESPN for the past couple of years. What was the journey to get there? So I started in sports journalism at the Houston Chronicle about 16, 15 and a half, 16 years ago. Uh, I was a student at the University of Houston. I graduated there in 2005. And uh, a couple months after that, I got hired at the Chronicle to cover high school sports. And so that was my first uh, true sports journalism gig. I, I'd worked at the student paper at the University of Houston also for about a year, year and a half before I got to the Chronicle. But, uh, but my first like big boy job was at the Chronicle. And I was really fortunate because I was a latecomer to sports journalism as a student. You know, I, it wasn't my major. My, my degree is in psychology, but uh, print journalism was my minor. And I, I inter- ended up finding I was more interested in that than I was in, in psychology. And so... Uh, after doing some work at the student paper, I just fell in love with the, the idea of journalism and particularly sports journalism. You know, I covered the University of Houston football team and basketball team when I was there. And after getting that experience, that kind of real world experience, I really enjoyed it. So I, uh, you know, started applying at places and started interviewing at places, you know, right out of college. And I got a chance at the Chronicle. So I got hired there in summer of 2005. And then I covered high school sports, mostly high school football, but just about every other sport, too for the next five and a half years. And, uh, and then my last year and a half at the Chronicle, I got to cover colleges. They promoted me to cover colleges. And my last year and a half was covering the Houston beat. And then, uh, you know, the University of Houston. And then I covered, uh, I think it was Kevin Sumlin's last year there. And then uh, in 2012, when A&M entered the SEC, ESPN had called me about a job covering Texas A&M football and recruiting. Uh, they had started out these little sites kind of like not terribly different from rivals or two, four sevens style sites where they had team sites and ESPN was really trying to beef up the recruiting content. And so they, they had started a site called Gigum nation for Texas A&M and they had done a a horns nation one for Texas, uh, a tide nation for Alabama, so on and so forth. They ended up doing it for about 14, 15 schools. And it was a great project. We had a ton of talent. And we had a really, really good time doing it. And I did that for about two years. And then after two, after my couple of years doing that, ESPN decided to kind of ditch the project and move away from recruiting. Uh, some folks ended up, you know, not staying with the company and some moved on who did those who did stay on were absorbed into the college football team. And so then the next three years I spent covering A&M and SEC football. So I, I got moved onto our SEC blog, which we still had blogs back then for the conferences. And then I did that for a few years. And then in 2017, we got rid of the blogs 
uh, at ESPN for, for the conferences. And then we kind of became just one big college football team. And I was kind of shifted from SEC to kind of more state of Texas. Uh, so then I covered a little bit of, you know, SEC, a little bit of Big 12, but a lot of Texas and Texas A&M. And so the last three or so years, that's kind of what I've been doing. And then really, I think 2018, 19, I kind of moved full into a Big 12 role. We're still a little bit of SEC because Texas A&M, I live in Houston. So Texas A&M is the closest power five school to me. So I, I did cover a little bit of SEC, but mostly Big 12. That was kind of my assignment. And then uh, I did that for the last couple of years. And then unfortunately, about three or four weeks ago, I got the call that um, I was uh, not going to get renewed. And so my contract with them ends in a couple of months. But uh, my last day with them was January 15th. So now I'm kind of a free agent looking for the next gig to, to see where I'm going to keep uh, doing sports journalism because I'd like to keep doing it if I can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you're born and raised Houston? Yep. Absolutely. What high school? I graduated from Sci Falls High School. Oh, okay. Nice. 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 So, so actually, we the last podcast we recorded, we actually had a uh, a debate on here of who is kind of the Mount Rushmore of professional Houston athletes. So there was a big debate, but who would you put in your what did Houston? We do five? Four? Whatever four. you think. It would be four. Yeah. yeah. It would be four. <laughs> so, <laughs> like the Mount Rushmore of Houston athletes. I mean, you've got to be just completely engulfed in Houston sports at this point. Yeah. Right? No, I grew up. I grew up with the Astros, the Rockets, and the Oilers. Uh, you know, and then of course, obviously, the Texans are the team now. And I was actually uh, my dad and I were season ticket holders for quite some time at the start of that franchise. But yeah, I would say. Akeem Olajuwon's probably the easy one. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. he's the one who brought brought two championships. So I think he'd be on there. Uh, I would probably say from a football standpoint, I'd probably go Earl Campbell. Right. Uh, you know, hard to hard to go with the 34s. I almost want to go the 334s, Earl, Hakeem, and Nolan Ryan. But Nolan yeah. was in Houston for only part of his career, about eight years. So I think the other two, I'm kind of tempted to go Biggio Bagwell because they're the Thank Hall of you. Famers. <laughs> and uh, Thank you. I, I know there's probably an argument for Altuve. There's probably an argument for some others, but – but I probably go Biggio Bagwell because they're Hall of Famers. They played together for so long, and though they didn't win a World Series, they did get to one, and uh, they did bring a ton of success to that franchise. So I, I would say Elijah Juan, Earl Campbell, Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio would be. My yeah, I I completely agree. Especially the Biggio Bagwell was my argument, and they disagreed. But <laughs> I kind of argued, you know, like they brought success to the Houston organization that had never been seen before, really. I mean, you could argue, you know, that way back, like the series with the Miracle Mets, they were probably the best team in baseball that year. But other than that, they brought Houston Astros baseball to a different level, right? The it was consistency. That, that right. was like, It was consistent winning. And so, I mean, I remember when they traded Larry Anderson away for Jeff Bagwell, and a lot of us were like, who's Jeff Bagwell? And he was, of course, a minor <laughs> leaguer in the – in the Red Sox system. And, you know, Larry was obviously a really good relief pitcher. And obviously it turned out to be one of the best trades in uh, mm -hmm. Astros history and probably one of the worst in Boston history. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, no one knew how good they would be, but I, if I want, I want to say that the Astros were maybe like 75 and 97 or something the year before Bagwell got there. And th they really elevated, you know, he had of course the MVP chase in 94 uh, you know, they, he was a big time home run hitter. 
Uh, and then, of course, Biggio obviously was consistent. I mean, let's not forget, Biggio was an all-star at multiple positions. Like, yes. that in itself. Well, I can't remember if he was an all-star as an outfielder, but he was second at second base. base second and catcher. catcher. Yeah. I know he did play center field, and I think some Astro fans would say that that wasn't a great experiment for Craig. <laughs> I, think he, I think he made the all-star team as a left fielder, actually. Yeah. But, but, uh, but, but kudos to Craig for even trying it. But, like, the fact that he was able to do that in his career – and of course, the three thousand hits. Right. I mean, it's, it's it's incredible. I mean, he was a big time doubles hitter. You know, great leadoff hitter. Uh, you know, could hit with power. Could hit to get on base. Could steal. You know, was a great defensive player. And uh, Bags was a great you know defensive first baseman. Obviously, a great power hitter. A great RBI machine. Uh, you know, those two guys were fantastic. They were synonymous with Astros baseball for you know basically two decades. Yeah, I mean, killer bees, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. They were always the two consistent ones for sure. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're we're not trying to have you age yourself, but who, as as a child growing up, were your idols in Houston sports? Uh, let's see. Uh, Bagwell and Bicho definitely were among them. But Elijah one was probably the biggest one for me. Yeah. Like, I, I grew up in the mid. I mean, I was when they won the championship. I was a, a preteen and almost a teenager. Yeah. Uh, so that was. I was really ripe for just soaking up everything, you know, in Houston sports. And were you doing the I mean, shaking? In your I driveway? was absolutely, <laughs> I had a goal in my driveway and that's what every kid in Houston did was you went out right. to your driveway or you went out to the park or you went to your friend's house, wherever you could find a basketball goal. And everybody was practicing their dream shake. Right. I was absolutely doing that. And it was, I, I, I would argue that I could probably, if I go out on the court right now, I could still have the muscle memory that I could probably do it. <laughs> it may not look pretty, but I can do it. I can, I can actually probably drain a little bit of a fadeaway. And it's funny because I watched, I was watching a game the other night. Uh, I think it was the Lakers. And uh, I saw somebody do that. And the commentator was talking about how bad a shot it was. And I was like, it is a bad shot because you're falling away from the basket. Mm -hmm. You're not in a position to rebound. It's a low right. percentage shot. But Elijah Juan turned it into a high percentage shot because of how proficient he got at it. Right. But I, he was probably the one that was a big idol for me. I was also a huge Nolan Ryan fan, even when he was with Texas, because he was going after the 5,000 strikeout chase, you know, 300 wins. And, uh, you know, when I went to card shows and stuff like that, the TriStar, you know, collector show and stuff like that, you know, you're always trying to either – you know, go, get in his line for, you know, an autograph or trying to obtain something his, but he was an all-time great pitcher. And to see a guy dominate like that on the mound, you know, a power pitcher going to just throw fastballs at you and just constantly intimidate you and strike guys out. Nolan and Hakeem were probably my two biggest ones. And then, uh, you know, from a football standpoint, uh, I, I was definitely a big Oilers fan. I definitely loved Warren Moon. It broke my heart when they decided to yeah. Uh, make the change from Warren Moon to Cody Carlson. Uh, I don't know that I will still ever understand that move. But uh, uh, <laughs> and, and it was weird because, it, you know, that was also kind of a lesson in heartbreak was watching the Oilers move away, you know, because it was there was a team that you grew up watching. But also the Oilers kind of broke your heart at times, you know, with, mm -hmm. you know, what happened in the 93 playoffs against Buffalo, what happened in the 94 playoffs against the Chiefs. And so but but I had a, a lot of good memories from my childhood because my dad got me involved in watching sports, collecting baseball cards at a very early age. I think I was about six years old when I went to my first, you know, Astros game and uh, he got me into that and it became like a lifelong passion for me. Yep. I know that uh, I've, I've always been so mad at 
the fact that the Oilers moved before I was old enough to really appreciate the sport of football because then I probably would have adopted them, but my dad was a Cowboys fan, so I've been cheering for the Cowboys, but I was too young to appreciate the Super Bowls. So I've just been sitting there like all the other Cowboys fans getting their hopes up every year, watching them just Tony Romo fumbling the ball on the, <laughs> on the kick hurts me. The Dez caught it. Like it's, I, and then the Texans too. So like yeah, I automatically I mean, I'm, I'm from Columbus if just down the road in Houston. And so I'd naturally cheer for the Houston teams. I've rockets Astros since I can remember. And then I adopted the Texans when they came into existence. And so that didn't get any better there with David Carr and how rough the beginning years were. And then like just last season, it looked like we were Super Bowl bound. We're going to go at least to our first championship game. And then the biggest choke job I've ever seen. <laughs> and, it, and it's just been like football has not – and we're A&M fans too. And so until recently, like it's just been – I don't know if you ever heard the term battered Aggie syndrome. Oh, yes, I have. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I knew you had. That's I've been on the Tex Ax boards. I, I, I know what BAS <laughs> means. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's it. Just, but it doesn't just apply to A and M football for me because every single football team I've cheered for has had that same situation. It's just as soon as you get your hopes up, they come and crush you again. And I, and with the Oilers, at least I would have like had more people on my side. But now all of my none of my friends are Dallas fans because they're all Houston area people, and they refuse to cheer for the Cowboys. So I'm just sitting here in misery by myself with all the heartbreak. So. I will tell you that two things. One, I agree with you on that general sentiment. As a Houston sports fan, it is challenging. Mm-hmm. It, hell, just look at the last the year. hamstring and two things. Yeah, I mean, look at how from the cheating scandal, you know, the sign-stealing scandal with the Astros to see what happened with Deshaun Watson, you know, and the way that franchise has been run with the Texans. You know, obviously Harden has gone with the Rockets. But that is just emblematic of things that I think Houston sports fans have gone through. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know I think of, you know, the Astros in 1998 – you know, winning over a hundred games, trading for Randy Johnson, and then getting eliminated by the Padres in the divisional series. Yep. You, you know, Jim Leveritz, I know, will live in infamy in, in Houston. Uh, you know, the the Oilers, you know, as we talked about the 93 game against the Bills, the 35-3 game, and then the uh, 94 playoffs against the Chiefs and uh, old Joe Montana, you know, taking them to for a game-winning drive against a, a 12, what was a 12-14 and 14 that had a first-round bye. Yeah. You know, the Texans obviously have – given a lot of frustration to their fans over the last few years it's been interesting because as for me as i grew up as a fan and now as a journalist and haven't been in this for 15 years you know so much of you know sports now is my job and my career not so much something that i do fun anymore and i've come to i don't have the same passion for you know the houston pro sports teams that i did as a kid because I understand how these franchises are run. I understand it's, it's a business. And so I, while I still follow them, I don't get emotionally invested in the way that I once did. And so it's been fascinating to watch because I, at sometimes I feel bad for the fans who are super emotionally invested, especially like the Texans fans (laughs) watched, you know, the debacle that has been the last year, you know, with, you know, the management of the franchise and the GM search and, you know, everything with Bill O'Brien like it, it's it's I feel bad for the fans who have had to endure that and may watch the franchise quarterback who could be a potential you know all pro for 10 years walk out the door because they mismanaged the franchise for last year that's the crazy thing is they've been trying to for as long as I can remember they've been trying to get the quarterback situation figured out and at one point that was all they were missing and now they finally found the man of the future and they just ticked him off to make yeah. watch him walk out the door so 
that, that's kind of my next we've been talking a lot about football heartbreak so <laughs> what is your take on the whole texan situation because it's clearly a dumpster fire like there's no faith in the organization at this point but what's your take where's where do they go from here they obviously have to trade deshaun watson he's not going to play for him yeah i think i think first of all if you're the texans uh you have to do what you can to get the most in exchange for Deshaun, because what you don't want to do is trade a quarterback that that's valuable. Look, Deshaun Watson is a top five quarterback, probably, you know, even top, top three, I would say at this point. And he's in the prime of his career. Mm -hmm. Quarterbacks at this level do not come available at this juncture in their career. With a long-term contract. Right. And you saw what the deal that Matt Stafford netted for Detroit. That's the floor if you're Houston. So you've got to look for way more than that. You've got to look for more first-round picks and, you know, some uh, potentially a big-time player in exchange. So you got to – and the other thing is because he signed the extension, they've got the leverage where they can probably wait it out as long as they need to. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're Houston, you need to find a way to do it before the next season starts because – I think the longer this goes on and is if he stays uh, firm in his desire to not play for them, which I think he will, the longer you let this drag on, the worse it sets your future in terms of attracting other free agents and other players to come want to play for your team because you want your franchise to be attractive to big time players when it's time to sign them. So I think that's the, the strategy they should go with Deshaun. Obviously if he doesn't want to play and if he doesn't believe in them, you stick your guns because this right. is we're in an era of player empowerment where guys can kind of dictate their moves. Obviously, it's a little bit more difficult at the NFL level than it is, for instance, in the NBA, where the collective bargaining agreement's a little bit more friendly to the players. But Deshaun's got the power because he's he does not have to play. And if he's willing to forfeit game checks for it, then he may do that. I mean, it's not the first time that we've seen that happen with players. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. But Ultimately, you've got your GM, you've got your head coach, you need some alignment in your, you know, franchise, everybody needs to be on the same page and figure it out from there, but you better try to get a lion's share hall for Deshaun Watson to set your franchise for the future because you've mortgaged so much of your future in the last year making all these wild trades. Yeah, and I think that's the point, right, is possibly their best haul for Deshaun Watson would be getting their draft picks back. I do. You were yeah. going there. Like I do. You were I'm going not a there. Texans fan. <laughs> like I'm just an innocent bystander, but that has got to be the most frustrating thing in the world is for Deshaun Watson. You might just be getting your draft picks back for Miami. The ones that you traded away. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'll never, when they traded Deshaun Hopkins, I mean, uh, DeAndre, DeAndre. Hopkins, sorry. Uh, we're spending so much time on Watson. When they traded DeAndre Hopkins, I was like, what are they doing? <laughs> like what on earth? I mean, uh, uh, speaking of guys who are top five at their position, hello. I mean, I, I just I never cool. understood the philosophy and personnel there. And then, of course, I don't know if you guys read the Sports Illustrated story about the culture and and Jack Easterby and the kind of the yeah. way that he got in there. That yeah, if anybody that, hasn't read that, I know it's another. a it's a long read, but it really gives you a window into how decisions have been made there and and why players like Deshaun Watson would be frustrated being there because the it's a total totally disorganized franchise so so my my dad is really big like into in like engulfs himself in church and family and and work and 
doesn't really have as much time for sports as he used to. And even him, like just in the little bit, he gets on and reads maybe an article or in the morning or two, and that's it. And he would just constantly be like, how does, how do these guys still like have a job and stuff like that and questioning all these things. And I was like, you know, you think about it. I feel like they had some kind of dirt on McNair. Not, not that I'm (laughs) saying that he has some kind of dirt on him, but it was just really weird that they were just going like this. And there was just so many red flags. And then it took actual rock bottom to get the tire rolling and stuff like that. I don't know if it would have actually happened if there wouldn't have been so much discontent with JJ Watt and practiced in the middle of the season when he had, all those reports came out of the actual fight that he had or verbal exchange he had with O'Brien. I don't know if, if they would have not lost the players, I think he would still have been the coach throughout the end of the season. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, if, if, if once you lose the players, you're, you're, you're right. Screwed. I mean, that's just the bottom line, but I, I don't think it's anything special or in particular that's happened. I think you see it, you can see it in big companies. You see it in other pro sports franchises the way guys are hired and fired and the way relationships are built, guys stick with their guys. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot easier to stick with a guy that you have a relationship with, a guy that you trust, a guy that you believe in, regardless of the level of competence they may have. And I think you see that, it, it, you know, we, we hear the term good old boy network sometimes. When you hire a bunch of guys who are your guys, so to speak, you're going to believe in them and you're going to kind of ride or die with them. And that can cloud your judgment on how, what kind of decisions you make when the performance isn't what you think it should be. You may blame it on something else. And so right. I, I think it's, again, I go back, I think it's a cultural thing and that culture is set from the top. And so if the person at the top is making decisions that are not necessarily always about who the best person is, as opposed to, well, we want this because we want to look like this franchise. We want to look like the Patriots or something like that. Right. I think, I think that's where you can get into trouble as opposed to just going out and finding the best guy for the job. Yep. Yeah. 100%. And I think it all started when you gave Bill O'Brien, who might've been a good coach if he just was a coach, but you gave him complete autonomy over the entire organization. There's, what two other coaches in the national football league that have that kind of autonomy with way longer track records and a whole lot of success, right? It's Bill, it's Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll, right? So now you're handing the entire organization to someone else to run top to bottom. It just always felt like it was doomed to fail. I just never thought it would fail to the extent that it did. I mean, you, Traded away your future, traded away DeAndre Hopkins for what? Actually, right? even I ever, did. Like, when you're when you're managing a sports organization, a professional sports organization, sometimes you sell away your future, but at least you have what is arguably on paper, you know, when you sell away your future, you better have realistic and good odds at a championship, no matter what, if you're gonna sell away your future. When, when I saw, I don't the, know the, that the Texans ever had that, even with selling selling away their future the way they did. I think we were at our fantasy draft when that news broke, and I remember seeing the the not excuse me, I remember seeing the notification pop up on my phone, and I didn't hate it because I was like, you know, DeAndre was obviously not happy with the coach they traded him. I'm sure we got Buku's of picks or, or, or some kind of crazy deal going on. And then as you dive into it, you're just like, okay, where's it at? 
where, where are these picks? Where, mm-hmm. What is going on? And I think the problem was is – Gave away the same pick for Brandon Cooks. Yeah, I mean, I, it just it just didn't make sense. And I, I don't know. What was your opinion on Bill O'Brien, the GM, and the coach situation? I was a lot better coach than he was a GM, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And and I will I will give credit to this for Bill, is I thought he did do some things, or he did evolve, I think, in some ways – like when they made the move to trade up and draft Deshaun Watson, like I wasn't certain that that would happen. We all saw how he managed the quarterback situation before that. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't confident that he would make a move that bold or that they would, as a franchise would make a move that bold and that he would be on board with a quarterback who seemed drastically different in skill set to what he had coached previously. But to his credit, you know, they did that and they seemed to tailor the offense to Deshaun's skills and it turned in, I mean, Deshaun has blossomed into a great quarterback. But there's a reason general manager is a full-time job in the right. NFL and why, like you said, there's only a couple of guys uh, who do it as the coach as well or make those per- – or at least have final say on personnel decisions. Sure. It, it is very difficult to do both at a high level, especially in that league. So, you know, ultimately it didn't work out. And I think it was the right move. You had to, you had to move on at this point. Uh, I think they kind of hit what their ceiling was with him. And as, as they change the roster, you know, it's kind of hard to see where the path forward is. I think it's going to be, you know, David Coley, bless his heart. I think it's going to be a rough go, especially if they're without Watson. Is it going to be a rough rebuild job for him, given where they are from a draft pick standpoint, where they're going to be from a roster standpoint, it's going to be really, really hard. And he, I have no idea if he's going to be good or not. He could be, he may be, but regardless, is he's going to have to take a lot of lumps in the ne- in the first, next couple of years. And ultimately, I feel like the deck is stacked against him. Where even if he may do some good things, by time you start seeing some fruits of it, they may end up moving on to somebody yeah, else. Right? There's no patience in this league. Exactly. I mean, you get three years, four years, maybe. There's no patience in the NFL. Yeah, and, and I think the only the only hope is to do something. I don't remember who was writing it, but they were talking about, you know, if you if a potential trade would be getting Quinn and Williams. I don't remember who the other defender was, plus the first round pick and their second round or their first or second next year or something. Like you're gonna have to get every ounce that you could squeeze, every ounce of Deshaun Watson's value that you can just to help your future out. Absolutely. And and I don't know I, that they will. I just don't because know. Because they're kind of everybody knows everybody they're held the up world against knows the wall. he wants yeah. out. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That's right. the hard part. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part. But think of how many NFL teams out there who would take Deshaun Watson over their quarterback. Oh, probably uh, at least twenty-five three, of them. Four. Exactly. <laughs> There's twenty-five teams, I think, at least that would take their take Deshaun Watson over their quarterback. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Maybe more, but uh, but so it'll be interesting to see. I'm fascinated to see how that whole thing plays out. Yeah. Uh, so, go ahead, Woody. Did you have a question? Well, I was going to turn over into what you thought of last night. If that's if that's where you were headed, Woody. Nope. Go ahead. Okay. What did you think of the game last night, Super Bowl? I was a little disappointed with the lack of competitiveness. Like, first of all, kudos to the Bucks defense. Yeah. Todd Bowles called a great game. That defense got after it. It reminded me of watching. I covered the Texas Bowl of 2015. Texas Tech and LSU played, uh, and Patrick Mahomes was at Texas Tech at the time, and LSU. Their front seven got after tech, Patrick Mahomes in that same way that the yeah. Bucks got after Patrick Mahomes last night. He was running left and right, and obviously the you know absences they had on the offensive line played a big role. Mm-hmm. And you know if you do not have time 
to throw is, you know, 2.5 seconds. If you don't have at least 2.5 seconds to throw, it makes life really hard. I think he did a really good job of just dealing with what he did and getting throws off was very impressive last night. There there was a lot of heart and fight from him considering the situations. I mean, he got a lot of experience at it in Lubbock, you know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean, he had to do that a lot. They they didn't have the best offensive lines at Texas Tech. So, no, but, but, you know, I was really impressed because I came into that game thinking Kansas City would win. And, you know, the defense was fantastic. Tom did his thing. You know, Gronk, look at Gronk, you know, coming out of retirement and making big-time plays in the Super Bowl. Uh, Tampa's a really, really good team, a great game plan, and ultimately made it, you know, the game – it was not a game, you know, by the time we got to the fourth Mm -hmm. quarter. You know, it it, it was – you know, the Chiefs were trying to claw back into it, but really impressed. And and I've I've been one that's been kind of – I don't want to say resistant, but I sometimes roll my eyes at the Tom Brady greatest of all time talk because – you know, I'm old enough to have seen Joe Montana. I'm old enough to have seen John Elway and, you know, live. And I've always thought, you know, I don't know if he's above those guys, but man, at 43 and he's still doing it at a high level. And he's not necessarily the reason they won last night. The reason they won last night was their defense, but, but he sure is a big reason why Tampa Bay is there. You he know, played they, a hell of a game last night. And he I, did. He I'm did. not a Tom Brady apologist, but I mean, he played a hell of a game. I think I think to him to him to do what he has done with his body uh, and longevity and to throw for 40 touchdowns at 43 years old and lead a team. I went back and looked at Tampa Bay's wins the last 10, 12 years. There ain't many double digit seasons mm-hmm. of wins in, in that last in that span. And of course, the last time they went to Super Bowl was 2002. But I, I have been really impressed with how they remade that team you know, after Tom got there and what they've been able to accomplish and, you know, hats off. I can't, he, he may be the greatest of all time. And I, I don't know that there's much of an argument against it at this point. Yeah. Did I, I want to say it was Devin white and, and just speaking to the Tom Brady effect, he was talking, I want to say it was somebody, one of those guys, the leaders of the defense, he, they were talking about how he changed the whole mental outlook on the team. Like they just, the the uh, San Diego San Diego game in particular, he said nine times out of ten, like every other year before this, we we mail it in and just get waxed the rest of the game. And we came back from double digits and actually end up winning that game. And you know it was about that game where we realized we have Tom MF Brady, we can do this. Like I mean we we have the capability of doing it. And he he just instills confidence. And I think you saw that in the team. And then the same thing I was telling Woody earlier is I think the most dangerous thing you can do is count him out or let him think that he's being counted out. Cause I mean, each game in the playoffs, he played better and better and better. And it's just been like that. I don't know the last eight years with him. It's he loses a game to some team that they shouldn't. And everybody's like, Oh, is he done? Is he on mm-hmm. the downside? And then all of a sudden he just turns it on and he never really like, in the last four or five years, he's never really had a game where I was just like, oh, my goodness, he just threw for 450 yards and seven touchdowns. Or It's just been very, like, taking what the defense gives him, goes down the field, does what he does, gets his touchdowns, and he just keeps doing it better and better and better as the game gets bigger and bigger. And I think that's part of the reason I would say he's the greatest of all time is he's the best player in the biggest moments. I mean, look at the difference of the Patriots, you know, since he left. I mean, exactly. it, yeah. it, how big a fall they took. To your point about 
you know, leadership and confidence. I think there's something to that because he come, he arrived at that franchise with instant credentials because of what he's accomplished in new England. So he walks in there, he gets instant respect because players know that he understands what it takes to get to a championship, to win a championship. And that if he does that and the team adopts a culture that he is accustomed to, then it could lead to that success. I, I was reading Dan Wetzel, the great sports writer at Yahoo Sports. I was reading his column last night from the game, and he had mentioned that a lot of players were talking about Tom Brady this week, just texting the players throughout the week, you know, we're going to win, we're going to win, this, that, and the other. <laughs> and it sounds hokey because right. I, I'm not really into a lot of the cliches and stuff, but there is something to the mental impact of positive thinking and those words coming from that guy. You know, yeah. a guy saying, you know what, we're good enough. We're going to do this, this, and this is why, because I see these weaknesses in their defense. And I see the, you know, from a defensive standpoint, I see these weaknesses that uh, their offensive line has or what have you. So, I mean, Tom's intelligent and he knows the game, you know, as good as just about anybody out there, but those words coming from him to those guys, to those younger guys who may be in this for the first time, mm-hmm. the Devin whites of the world, you know, who've never played in this game. That's, that's huge. And speaking of Devin White, that guy balled last night. That He's guy, so I meant to mention that linebacker. since I know, I know we're not supposed to, but 2018, that seven overtime game, mm-hmm. he left an impression on me that no player, because I was, I was a student at the time, so the drinks were flowing, and I don't really remember as much <laughs> during the games as I should. And I told my buddy, I said, you know, if a guy leaves that kind of impression on me when the when the booze are flowing and the, I'm just sitting there watching the game, can barely remember what happened. That's how I know that's a good dude. And only one time have I been fooled by that, and that was Josh Rosen. I was all on the Josh Rosen train, mm-hmm. but I think that was just a faulty memory about how the game turned out. But You um, know, co- covering, covering uh, sports and get, getting to see players live and doing this as long as I have, I get to – you know, you get to see the difference between great players and good players. Mm-hmm. And I, for lack of a better term, I like to say sometimes there are players that I just fall in love with, like based on how they play. Right. Yep. Devin White was one of those, like when he was at LSU, just playing like with his hair on fire. Like loved watching that guy play. He because is an impressive inten- specimen. The intensity he brings, but he's also highly intelligent on the field, is in the right spot, and just plays with a tenacity that I think you want a defensive player, a linebacker to have. And it's, it does not surprise me in the least that that's translated into the pros and that he's become – the level yeah. player that he is at Tampa Bay. He, I mean, he's, he's a monster. coming out of the draft. I said Devin White's the safest pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. He's he's going to be a Pro Bowl linebacker. It just depends. Whoever takes him is going to be happy with that pick. You could take him number one, and you're still going to be happy with Devin White. By the way, a couple for you guys, a couple Aggies. How about Mike Evans getting a ring? Hey, let's oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. That was awesome. And I was when he caught that ball and he was running down the sideline, we were all losing our mind. Go, Mike, go, go, Mike, go. And also, I was like, for a guy that had him over 66 and a half receiving yards, I was very excited. <laughs> it's <laughs> about having the safe draft picks. That guy was a safe mm-hmm. draft pick when he came out, and he had only played football for a couple of years i mean i remember watching i covered that guy when he was a basketball player at galveston ball that was my first exposure to mike evans really was yeah was he played basketball at galveston ball high i was covering high school sports for the houston chronicle at the time and i watched him and taron petaway go up against you know julian lewis and lamarck over at hoffines pavilion back i think it was like 2008 2009 and uh they had some really great basketball teams at ball gerald temple coach still the coach there uh, it was a lot of fun to watch them play, but 
once I saw him do what he did at A&M, uh, I, think to, I think of the poor defensive backs that ever had to cover that guy because <laughs> he, didn't never, he never uh, went to the sideline. He always turned up field. Those stiff arms that he would give those smaller defensive backs were lethal. And to me, when he came out in the draft, I was like, that guy's, that guy's going to be an all-pro because he had the speed, he had the size, he could block, he was physical, he could outrun guys, he could do everything. And him being a perennial all-pro is not a shock at all. Yeah, I mean, I mean everything and it that couldn't Mike happen Evans to a was, better but... guy either. He's such an amazing person, right? And, I mean, it came out today even that he told the Bucks that he would, like – take less salary if they could keep the gang all together and everything. And he does a lot for the Galveston community. I know mm -hmm. he's just a great guy. And, you know, when he went out, when he left for the draft, everybody was saying, Oh, you know, you're a red shirt sophomore, blah, blah, blah. Well, he, he had a kid on the way. He had some family he needed to take care of and he did it right. And he's just an amazing human being. And he who, comes back to college station and does a charity event, I think every year or every other year or something like that. Guy. Couldn't yeah. happen to a better guy. Yeah. To, to your point about the basketball, um, while we were there or I was there during his tenure and I remember playing against him at the rec and watching him play and stuff like that. It, I mean, you're sitting there and you're like, this is Mike Evans. He's been postering people and, and Moss and people. So you're expecting like, he's going to be trying to get to the hole to slam it. That dude shot like 45 to 50% from three that <laughs> over while he was at the rec. And, and, and I mean, and he was like the nicest guy possible. Like, the only time I ever saw any meanness in that guy is when some dude stole the ball from him because he was being like, you know, lazy and having fun playing pickup ball. And the dude mocked him and he <laughs> mocked Mike Evans. And then the next, we come down the next time and they just set a screen, they switched the screen. He's like, all right, clear out. And everybody clears out a couple crosses and then just throws it off the board and slams it. And I was just <laughs> like, Oh my Lord. And then one time I was there and it was him and Johnny just throwing oops to each other. Like it was just, it was not, it was never fair. Anytime the football players showed up. Did y'all ever got, get to see miles Garrett play yep, uh, on, yeah. on the hardwood? Yeah. Yep. So my, my, that was there would be, that's what he did in his off time was just do nothing but play ball. Fun story about miles. Um, he actually remembered that we had a test one day and I was in a class with him. And if he wouldn't have said anything, and it's a class of like 200 people. And I just happened to sit like a couple rows behind him. If he wouldn't have said anything, I would have not shown up for class that day and definitely missed the exam. Miles <laughs> saved my life that day. That's awesome. He, he, uh, I, the first time I met him was at a basketball game at Arlington Martin. I covered his recruitment, but uh, the first time I like met him and actually had like a long talk with him was uh, the day after he had a game in Arlington Martin and watching him on the hardwood. My goodness. Oh yeah. That guy I was mean, a brute strength. Mm -hmm. He's a physical freak. Yeah. Phys I mean, he's a physical freak compared to the rest of the NFL players. Right. right? Like <laughs> not, just, not just regular humans. Like the no. rest of the league. Yeah. There was, some, there was a bunch with of the 1% of human beings. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would have like lines of people at the wreck and they would like, can you dunk over us? And then their buddies would film it. Can you dunk? Over? He would have to like do it. Oh, he got a workout out of it. I bet like just sitting there dunking over people. And then like people, you'd see it on, uh, I, I want to say vine was the thing back then. Uh -huh. You'd see it on vine. And I was like, man, I was there. I saw that video and just one after another. And you know, I mean, a and has been blessed with some really good athletes that were also amazing people to come through. 
So. Yeah, Miles. Miles is a great dude. I got to know him a lot. His his family too. Uh, his mother uh, Audrey uh, is just really really good to me. His dad Lawrence, uh, uh, his sister Bria. They're they're great people. Uh, yeah. I got to know them a lot just because I covered his recruitment and then I covered you know his career at A and M. Uh, but you know, and I've been happy for all his success at the NFL level. But he he was he was a different cat. Like you know, he was the guy who listen to Marvin Gaye, you know, before they yeah, exactly. you wrote know? poetry and so, studied dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, didn't did, I know in college he didn't have social media. Like he deleted his accounts while he was there. Obviously he has them now, you know, I remember Audrey telling me at that time when he was in college that, you know, he's probably going to have to get social media accounts because it's just from a marketing standpoint, like, you know, you have to, you know, capitalize on, you know, your earning potential when you're a pro, but, but uh, he was a different cat and uh, it's been cool to see him succeed as well. Yeah, absolutely. So how early in the recruiting process did you actually like meet Miles? Like, did you get in there pretty early or was late, that really late? late? Yeah, because yeah. Uh, I mean, I knew of his recruitment and I sure. had uh, I, I want to say I'd saw him at combines and stuff, but I didn't try to do like a deep dive story on him until not not long after he, not long before he signed, like about a month or gotcha. so before he signed. So it was pretty late. Gotcha. But, uh, but I got to know him and the family. And like I said, they're great people. And uh, like I said, he's a credible athlete, but he's also a pretty good dude. And so uh, it's been cool to watch him succeed. And he was another no-brainer as a draft pick. Like once he yeah. – when, when he got you, – you knew after you saw him that freshman year, he was a three-and-out guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So recruiting, do, do you still pay attention to recruiting pretty heavily or no? Not as much. Not as much. So – uh, just the Houston area maybe or in my pre in my previous job like I did but we just didn't cover it a ton and so yeah. like not not in the way that I covered it when I first got to ESPN so yeah like and the other thing that made that complicated was the pandemic is it was hard to you know there weren't as many events and it was hard to you know go out and do stuff you know especially when we're trying to you know take all the precautions and things like that so that's something I'm hoping in my next job, you know, wherever that may be, that I can get back to doing that because I do like doing it. I'm not necessarily a guy that's super interested in like what a kid's top five is or where he's going to school. It's not so much that I'm more interested in seeing, you know, what, who the players are that are coming up, what type of players they are, but I'm more interested in the trends than recruiting. Like Texas is a breeding ground for recruiting yeah. trends because everybody recruits this area mm -hmm. down here in Houston, obviously is one of the, big time fertile recruiting grounds in the country. So this is a breeding ground for knowing kind of where the wind is blowing, how things are shifting in recruitment, what teams are on the rise, what teams mm -hmm. are, are sliding. And so I enjoy looking at that part of it, but in the individual players, I'm not as big on necessarily evals or, you know, yeah. certain players. There's a lot of no doubters. And there are some recruitments that I've covered that have been really fun. Like Kyler Murray's recruitment was a interesting one. <laughs> I think we, that we may have to that save that one circus, for another show. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but 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 uh, but I do I do I am still interested in it. I just don't follow it as closely as I did when I covered it. Yeah. So, what would be like the best recruit you ever covered? It doesn't have to be the highest ranked, you know, according to whoever, but just you saw him, you're like, this is a bad man. So are we talking best recruit? Like I thought he would be a future pro type player or you think best recruit as in just best player period? 
Because that's those are two different answers. Yeah. I give uh, you both if you want. I'll tell you what. Yeah, yeah. give me both. Yeah, give I, me I'll both. give you a few. I'll give you a few. The the first player I ever saw and knew that he was going to play on Sunday was Des Bryant. Uh, oh. 2006. Was I was yeah, Lufkin High. Yeah. 2006, I believe it was. I was at the Houston Chronicle and I was covering high school football and they Lufkin played the Woodlands uh, in Conroe. And I think, I want to say the game was on ESPN. And Des Bryant, I think, caught eight passes for a buck 50 and three touchdowns. And the Woodlands had a cornerback by the name of Taylor Charbonnet. Taylor ended up signing with Texas Tech. He was a D1 recruit. He was a pretty good corner. Bless his heart, he tried his damnedest to cover Des Bryant. <laughs> and it did, it did not work out very well because Des was a big, strong guy. And it was fast. And he had every tool that you wanted. The next guy that I saw that I thought would play on Sundays was Andrew Luck. Uh, in 07, oh, I think it was. Andrew, 6'4". He was about 215. Rocket arm, mobile, smart, knew how to read the field, knew the game, obviously had the football bloodlines. You know, his dad obviously played quarterback. Right. Um, he was one that was easy. Like, <laughs> I watched him play at NRG Stadium against Cy Falls. I think it was a third-round playoff game. And I remember he was getting chased, uh, scrambling, uh, and he was getting chased toward the sideline. <clears throat> and he threw a ball, like kind of, he was running and he was on the run. And he threw a ball about 50 yards downfield with no strength, like with no bottom, like yeah, didn't get to plant, didn't get right. to stop. He just kind of yeah. flicked it and it went and it went 50 yards downfield. And the, the defensive back was about five yards from the receiver because I don't think he thought the ball was going to get there. And the receiver <laughs> had to jump up to catch it, and he did. Oh, wow. And it got called back for a holding penalty. But I remember half the people in the press box at NRG like stood up. They were like, holy crap. Like, yeah. <laughs> we could not believe that we just saw him do that. And funny thing is, Stratford didn't even win in that game. Cy Falls ended up winning that game, and they ended up going to the uh, regional championship. or the state represent the hometown. Right, exactly. I got to represent my alma mater. They did, they did go to the state championship that year, but Luck was the next one that I saw that I thought he's going to play on Sunday. And I could never understand why he didn't have as many offers as some of the other big-time recruits. Uh, the other two that come to mind as big-time recruits who I felt like were sure things, I mean, Miles Garrett obviously was one of them, but Garrett Gilbert at uh, Lake yeah. Travis, who went he's to Texas. star I think. It, yeah. yeah, he was. He was. He was the number one quarterback in the class, if I remember correctly. And and it looked like it, it looked Texas, like it was obviously. headed that direction in the first game. I guess that Alabama, yeah, yeah. In the national championship game when he came in for Colt McCoy, he certainly looked like he had the promise. And that is one of the things I always want to know is why it did not work out there. But it didn't work out for him at Texas. But uh, it, I was actually kind of excited to see him play for the Cowboys this year. Like he got right. a start yeah. this year for them. But Garrett was. You know, the, we talk about uh, offenses and quarterbacks putting pressure, like, for instance, Alabama's offense last year with Mac Jones and, you know, Devontae Smith and all that, and how much they scored and how much pressure they put on other teams because of how much they scored. That's what Lake Travis was doing back then with Gary Gilbert. They scored so many points. I remember watching teams go for fourth down on their own side of the field in the first half because they didn't have a choice. Because if you didn't right. keep up with Lake Travis, Gary Gilbert was going to score, go score 40 and 50 anyway. <laughs> yep. And so you had better done something. The other ones probably, if I had to rank and we had to do this assignment, if I had to rank the best Texas high school quarterback that I ever saw, it has to be Kyler Murray. Kyler oh, yeah, was yeah. absolutely I mean, that and guy. I, I kind of, I, I called Jordy 
couple weeks ago, actually, and asked him. I, I was in this debate with a guy. Who is the greatest high school quarterback in, a, in Texas history? Is it Kyler Murray or is it Vince Young? That's hard. See, because right? we were talking, is, is so it talent or career? It's hard. Like, it's so hard. Vince because Young was a higher rated recruit. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray never lost a game. That's right. That's right. And it, it's just and three so state hard. championships. So, yeah. And, but and, Vin- Vince if you put defense. Vince Young, if you put Vince Young on Allen, Vince Young may have won three exactly, state championships exactly. too. But you know he did not I, have a supporting. He did have a good Madison team around him. But you know, had Courtney Lewis in the backfield, if I remember correctly. Yep. But uh, also, by the way, Vince played both ways. I remember I didn't get to see Vince live because of my sports journalism career started after he was already at Texas. But I remember going back and looking in the archives from, for instance, when they played North Shore in two thousand one, which is an infamous or a, a very you know notable high school game in Texas high school history. I remember looking back at box scores in Vince's playoffs in his junior and senior season. He has like interceptions because he was playing <laughs> defensive back or what have you. So that, that was, that's a different era. No, yeah. Exactly. Uh, could you imagine, could you imagine somebody asking Kyler Murray to play defense? Yeah. Play, uh, <laughs> go play safety. <laughs> yeah, no, so, but Hey man, in Madison, you had to do that. So, right. but Vince like that, that's, it's a hard debate because Vince probably pound for pound, best player i think one of the best players in texas high school football history without question yeah. but if you were giving me a player and it's a texas high school football game and i gotta win this one game and i need to pick a quarterback i'm picking kyler that yeah. dude just there's something about him i i went and saw his penultimate start his second to last game in his senior season against dallas skyline and it was at smu and they were down 34 to 17 late in the third quarter and Skyline was loaded. They had tons of D1 prospects. Yeah. Anthony Wheeler, I think, was on that defense. But they had tons of guys. And I remember thinking, I was at that game, and I was on the sideline. I was covering. I was still covering recruiting at that time. And I remember thinking to myself, this is it. Like, Kyler's actually going to lose. Like, the way it was going, <laughs> Allen could right. not get anything going. Skyline's defense was, you know, they had a pick six on him. And I was just like, wow, this might actually happen. It was kind of wild because I'd seen Kyler a lot of times, and I'd always seen him win. And then – I remember they had a quick drive, uh, like a four-play drive, and they scored a touchdown. And then you kind of saw Allen's sideline that got a little energy going. And then Skyline scored, I think, in the next drive. And then Allen came back and scored quickly again on like two plays. And I was like, okay, this, here we go. Let's, let's keep an eye on what's going <laughs> here on go. here. And then Skyline uh. had a punt, and then they had a turnover. And then next thing you know, they scored like Dang. 35 unanswered points, and they ended up winning the game by 17. And he was just that dude, man. He was not going to let you lose. And I had never seen a guy of his frame. I think he was listed at 5'11". I don't believe he was 5'11". No, the dude's 5'9 and a half. But I had never seen somebody of that size throw the ball the way he did. Like the lasers that he would throw down the seam and down the sideline, I never understood how he could do that at that size and frame because Mm -hmm. we always are taught you look for the 6'5 guy with a rocket arm. 220. Guess what? Kyler had that arm without the size. Yeah. That guy could launch it and, and, and with velocity. And I'm talking about on a rope, not right. going to bomb it 65 yards like a, you know, parabola. He's going to laser it 30 yards down the right seam and nail it. It was just unbelievable. And then, of course, he was an incredible athlete just with his feet, too. I mean, he was unbelievable to watch and he was absolutely unbeatable. I, I've I never think- seen a high school athlete be must watch TV. Until mm-hmm. Kyler Murray, like yeah. 
when Kyler Murray was on TV on Fox Sports Southwest, whatever the hell it was, it was much must-watch TV in high school. I mean, absolutely. They, they sh- absolutely incredible. They almost sold out Jerry World, I believe, mm-hmm. for that yeah. state championship game. Yeah. yeah. And and I, if I'm not mistaken, about the time his junior year when it started to get like he hasn't lost a game, he the, here comes Kyler Murray, five-star quarterback, was shortly after Johnny did all the dancing around and throwing it around. And it was so – I remember when he committed to A&M or was figured out that he was Kevin Murray's son and stuff like that. I was like, this is Johnny again. We're about to get yep. another Heisman. I mean, and just the way they played, there was obviously differences in their games, but this, the scrambling with the ball out wild, chunking the ball down the field. I mean, you know, I think some of that was on purpose too. I think Kyler was very much trying to mimic Johnny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, actually, who wasn't back then, right? <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I don't think he'll get mad if I tell you, but uh, Jake Spavital, who was the former offensive coordinator at Texas A&M, yep. right? now the head coach of Texas State. Uh, Jake and I know each other very well, but we were talking about Kyler back when he's recruitment. And I think I texted him a picture or a video of Johnny. I mean, of Kyler scoring a touchdown and he texted me back. He's like, he wants to be Johnny so bad (laughs) 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 because he, because Johnny was that guy. Johnny was the guy that everybody wanted to be. Uh, when yep. he was at Texas A&M. And Who so, wasn't doing this and right, trying to exactly. run around? Kyle, yeah. Kyler, Kyler was doing the cash out. And so uh, you watched his mannerisms at Allen High, and he definitely had a little bit of that Johnny swag to him. And there's no doubt in my mind that he mimicked it. But I will say this, to his credit, he, despite the height limitations or what have you and all the questions of how things went at A&M, that guy has lived up to the hype, obviously, win a, you know, winning a Heisman Trophy. And I'll be honest, as great as he was a high school prospect, because of his size, I was not certain that he would be an NFL quarterback. And to his credit, he worked it out, not only get a first-round draft pick in the NFL, but a first-round draft pick in baseball, and now he's the starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think it's astonishing, and it's, impre- it's an impressive story, and he's, he's a hell of a player. I, I think Kyler and the Cardinals are something to watch. I mean, every year I, I get a little bit more and more impressed with what they're putting around him and everything. That's, that's fun to watch. There. Yeah, they're, they're definitely must see. All right. Uh, I, you got one more? I got one quick question, then we'll let you go. I know we held you for a while, so. No, it's no good. All good. You're clearly a pretty big baseball fan just from hearing you talk. I'm a big baseball guy myself. What are your thoughts on the Houston Astros this year? Oh, so man. that well, we, that's one I'm not a super expert on at this point because while I still pay a little bit of attention because of how much football I had to cover, it doesn't leave a lot of time to cover to pay attention to other other stuff. So yeah. I, I did. I'll be honest. I haven't watched them as closely as I would have five six years ago, just because. Also, I have two kids now, and <laughs> that'll I, do it. <laughs> b- before I had two kids, I had free time to watch sports yeah. that I wasn't covering. <laughs> And now not so much. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I do know it's, you know, going to be fascinating to see, obviously with George Springer gone and Michael Brantley back, it's going to be fascinating to see how things go, but I have no idea uh, how things are going to go, you know, moving forward. It's, it's certainly going to be fascinating to see. I saw this, they got Carlos Correa to a one-year deal and avoided arbitration, but yeah. Uh, but it's still, it's still a good team with good talent. And so yeah. I, I'm excited to see what's ahead for them, but yeah, I, I I have not paid attention to them as closely as I had in the past, just because, just the time thing, man. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, I spent so much time, you know, in my last job covering college football, and 
during baseball season, I try to just kind of not watch sports sometimes. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, family but, every once in a while. Right. right? Exactly. Oh. Exactly. I do, but I do have to turn it on sometimes because my kid now, because that's what I do as a career, my kid's like, well, can we watch the game? And I'm like, do we have to? <laughs> so, so, and he has questions. Like he asked me the other day, you'll laugh at this. He asked me, uh, cause I had the Rockets game on, on oh, no. uh, Saturday night no, when they were no, playing the Spurs. And he said, he said, where's Harden? Oh, I do. Oh. I said, oh. yeah, I said, oh, he's not, he's gone. He's on another team. I oh, said, you know, no. I said, sometimes players change teams. Yeah. He, How old is he? He knew him from his beard. My right. kid's like five years old, but oh, he knew no. him from his beard and, He's like, well, how come I don't see Harden out there? I was like, yeah, oh, he's on no. another team now. He's like, well, where is he? And I had explained that he's in Brooklyn. And I just got over that, man. <laughs> I know, I know, but uh, but but it's uh, I the other pro sports, like I said, I, I kind of follow the Texans a little bit just because it's football, and so I, you know, I like I like to see where the guys who I covered in college where they get drafted and how they do and all that. Like I, Deshaun Watson, I saw his very first Alabama game when he was a junior. Alabama comes in one. I so I'm so I enjoy watching him because I think he's a hell of a player. Right. Uh, but I got to see him live, and boy, I never saw anybody doing to an Alabama defense what he did, except for Johnny. Right. Uh, it was incredible. But but uh, yeah, I just don't I don't get to watch the Rockets and the Astros and even the Texans as close as I'd like because I spend so much time working in, in this mm-hmm. as a career that you know it's kind of more of a hey if I've got time there's nothing going on I'll flip it on, but yeah. if not you know I'm you know, trying to wrangle these two kids. Hard to be and, a fan, you know, right? Make sure, you know, cook dinner or whatever and help <laughs> my wife out, you know? So uh, it's, it's, it is, it is hard to be a fan in the profession, but I still enjoy, you know, sports and I still, you know, it's still obviously what I, you know, it's what I do. And so I still enjoy it, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't do it as much in my free time. I'll tell you what my free time activity. And again, this is one that kind of went by the wayside when I had kids was uh, premier league soccer. I kind of got into premier league soccer about seven, eight years ago. Uh, again, the, really over the last year, I, I haven't not watched it as closely, but, uh, but it's something that over that I didn't follow when I was a young, younger that I do follow now. How hmm. come no La Liga? I used to, when I, before I had kids, I would watch the Liga because okay. I had, I had B in, okay. uh, so I would watch the Liga, but, uh, I kind of premier league was just a little bit easier just because I always knew it was going to be an NPC sports network or what have you. And so yeah, yeah. Uh, it was easier to follow. And, but even now, like I said, it's. It's hard to now because normally when I wake up, I've got two kids, you know, wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, so. you don't have to explain this. Just answer it. And I, I'm going to judge you very sure. hard. Sure. Messi or Ronaldo? Man, that's a tough one. He's pretty- I'm partial to Messi. Okay. Well, you're Messi, good. You're good. You're good. But, uh, but Ronaldo's a hell of a player. Like, yeah. he, like I, my, my, me and my buddy, my, one of my closest friends is a Real Madrid fan. Uh, yeah. and so obviously Poor he's guy. not there anymore, but, but, uh, but when he was there and, and, you know, Messi was at Barca, we used to go back and forth. And so he would cheer for Madrid and I would cheer for Barcelona just to get yeah. on his nerves. My, my so, family's uh, from Barcelona. So we absolutely hate him, <laughs> <laughs> but no, Messi, Messi's a, a dream to watch. Like, oh yeah. I mean, they're both amazing. fun to watch if yeah. you're just talking sports, but I like to, I like to talk trash, so yeah, have a little fun. I mean, that. I think Messi just got the richest sports contract in world history. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't remember what the number was, but I remember being like, it was, it was ridic- over a hundred million dollars a year. So that's insane. Like the, I think people in the United States do not under, understand the scale. Uh, yes yeah th- so European there's another guy soccer. on this podcast with us and he said this is for all those idiots that said soccer is not that big of a deal globally oh no, dude it's it definitely is like 
the passion and the like before the pandemic, you watch the stadiums and what they look like mm. on a Saturday or Sunday for a league match and whether it's in La Liga or the Premier League. Yeah. I went to a game when they were playing like Hatafe in like the beginning of like the middle of the season. Everybody knew they were going to blow them out. And that, mm-hmm. I mean, the state, the stadium is absolutely packed. They're going nuts. And then they win the game. It's like they won the Super Bowl. That's it's nuts. Every game it's, is it's, like that. It's, it's intense. I really, I really like it. I also like how the leagues are set up. I have my own thoughts. Yeah. Again, we'll have to get into this another time yeah. about why college football should mirror how European soccer is set up. No, it's 100% the best promotion. system. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I don't know we, why. We've had this conversation. We'll, yeah. we'll get into the, the next one. Um, real quick before we let you go, do you have any advice for, I guess, aspiring podcasters, aspiring journalists, people that are trying to get into the industry? I know it's a little bit different times now. Nobody has to kind of grind their teeth as much as you did and people like the sort we had Cole Kublik on earlier and talked about his windy career. Um, do you have any advice for people that are trying to cut their teeth into the industry these days? Yeah. Just make sure to read a lot, read a lot, watch a lot because it's very easy for guys to just get on and spit out a take, but the nuance and depth and information behind that take is I think what, what, what separates people who can do this at a high level and people who can't because everybody has an opinion about sports. That's what kind of what makes it great is like you sit around and debate, you know, teams, players, coaches, all that stuff. But if you have the best information and the best context and have an understanding, you have some authority that you can offer and a different perspective then I think people can respect that a little bit more. Uh, That's one thing is me as a reporter, I've always, thrived on trying to tell people something they didn't know or Mm -hmm. make them think about something in a different way. And the way you do that is you consume a lot and you, you don't just take the minuscule minutia view. You also take the 30,000 foot view from a big picture. What not, not only what, what does this mean for this team tomorrow and this week, but what does this mean in the context of this league or the bigger picture in the sport? And so uh, just, you know, stay informed and like I said, and if you're passionate about it, you know, keep doing it, you know, Think about also the people who you, this is another point of advice, and this goes for anything, journalism, podcast, what have you, people who are doing it the way that you admire, see how they do it, see what their techniques are, see what they do. You don't have to necessarily mimic it, but if someone is successful at it and you enjoy their content, chances are they're doing something that you can probably take a little bit from. All righty. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. We uh, hopefully we get you on again sometime. And I guess with that, you got anything else for him, Woody? No, good luck to you, man. Yeah, thank you. Keep, keep us updated with the with the look and everything. And thank you, thank you. Hopefully, hopefully when we talk next time, hopefully I'll have a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really hope so. I we've been we've both been following you for a long time. We yeah. both really admire your work. A, a lot. I mean, most of that was for the listeners. We've been following you. I mean, we were. Not to make you feel, but in high school, watching, reading your updates. And when you were, if you're gonna play in Texas, you gotta have a fiddle in the band. That lead guitar is hot, but not for Louisiana man. So raw's enough that both are faded love, and let's all dance. If you're gonna play in Texas, you gotta have a fiddle in the band. And like I said, the way he handled that, I. I have an immense amount of respect for that. At that age, to do that at 21, 22 years old, like, it's impressive. I I think that'll pay dividends when he's going through the interview room about how how well he handled it like a professional. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not a GM or anything, but I feel. I would like think it so will. too. I would think so too because. Not to mention, he's got more talent than all but maybe two or three of the quarterbacks on the board this year. Oh, he's yeah. super talented. That's the thing is because he had to play within the confines of that offense. But bingo. I argue. I argue that if if he was in an offense more similar to either like the old air raid, like some of the Cliff runs, or even like a, a power spread type like that Urban Meyer runs. Yep. Boy, I think he teared up because they didn't use his legs as much as well. And he committed have. to that kind of offense. People exactly, that, exactly. Right? But that's that's what impressed me about it because, uh, I mean, shoot, in high school he was running a forty-seven second four hundred meter. Oh yeah, like that guy could, elite that guy could fly. That guy could elite fly. Athlete. But and when he he turned himself into Jimbo's quarterback, and yep, I I will I will forever be impressed by how he did that in the four years. Before we go. If you're gonna play in Texas, you gotta have a fiddle in the band. That lead guitar is hot, but not for Louisiana man. So raw's enough that. All right, gonna... all right, I got a question for y'all. Do y'all want him to play, or y'all don't want him to play? Yes and no. I, <laughs> my, I don't want to lose to them. Yes. I'm gonna be honest. I don't want to lose to them. My I'm heart gonna... says yes. My mind says no. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. <laughs>